Welcome back to Perkei Avot and the teachings of Yeshua. In this, the penultimate video of the series, we'll take a look at some connections between Perkei Avot and the Apostolic Scriptures from chapter 5 of Perkei Avot. Once again, the goal of this study is not to cover every mission of each chapter, but to pull out a few Mishneot from each chapter and show the connections between Perkei Avot and the Apostolic Scriptures, particularly the teachings of Yeshua. And if you'd like to read the entire text of Perkei Avot with the numbering system that corresponds to these videos, you can do so using the link below this video. I'd like to begin by saying that unfortunately there are not a lot of direct connections with Yeshua's teachings or the apostolic scriptures in this chapter. However, there is so much great material here that I simply can't pass it up. So if you'll indulge me, I'm going to show some tangential connections between many of these teachings and that of Yeshua's rather than direct parallels as we have seen previously. Also, you may have noticed that some of the numbers of the Mishnahs from the previous videos may have been off a little from what you may have in your version of Perkei Vote. Well, this is because there are at least two systems that divide this text up into the numbered Mishniot that we have today, and it can get very confusing very quickly, especially in these two final chapters. So if the text doesn't match up with your version, please continue reading and eventually you'll find it. Let's begin. Chapter 5, Mishnah 2. There were ten generations from Adam to Noah in order to make known what long-suffering is his. For all those generations kept on provoking him until he brought upon them the waters of the flood. There were ten generations from Noah to Abraham in order to make known what long-suffering is his. For all those generations kept on provoking him until Abraham came and received the reward of all of them. When you read chapter 5, one thing you'll notice immediately is that this chapter is unlike any of the previous chapters because of the way the content is structured. Rather than flowing from teacher to student as we've seen previously, this chapter is more of a collection of teachings that were grouped together based on their mnemonic connections. For instance, each of these first several Mishniot speaks about uh, these groups of ten things. The next few talk about seven things each. The ones following these each speak of four types of things and so on. The pattern is not 100% consistent, but it follows pretty close. They were arranged this way to make their material easy to remember. The purpose of this particular Mishnah is to show Hashem's patience until the time of Abraham and to say that Abraham was the recipient of Hashem's blessings from all the generations that came before him. However, it does so by making use of the theme of two sets of ten generations as a memory aid. In the opening section of the Gospel of Matthew, we find something similar related to Yeshua. It begins with a genealogical list beginning with Abraham and continuing all the way to Yeshua. It concludes this list by saying, So all the generations from Abraham to David were fourteen generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. This is Matthew 1.17. Like our Mishnah, we had the generations leading up to Yeshua being grouped into sets, but this time using the number 14. Why is this important? Why was the number 14 chosen to be used here? First, we need to understand why Matthew put this genealogy at the beginning of his book in the first place. 
The opening words of the book say that what follows is, quote, the genealogy of Messiah Yeshua, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So the author is setting out how to show that Yeshua is the son of David, the son of Abraham. In other words, he is from the tribe of Judah and in the royal lineage of King David. But why does he emphasize that there are 14 generations between Abraham and David, David in the exile, and then the exile and Yeshua? In order to understand this, we need to have a brief Hebrew lesson. In Hebrew, the letters are also numbers. Because of this, every letter has a numerical value. For instance, Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew, Aleph Bet, has the numerical value of 1. Bait, the second letter, has the value of two, and so on. Therefore, not only does every letter have a numerical value, but by extension, every word has a numerical value. In Hebrew, the name David, or David in Hebrew, is spelled Dalet Vav Dalet. The numerical value of Dalet is four, and the numerical value of Vav is six. So the numbers that represent the word David are four, six, four for a total of 14. What the author of the Gospel of Matthew is telling his Hebrew-speaking audience with the repetition of the number 14 is that Yeshua is emphatically the son of David. David, David. He was the promised one who would begin the process of bringing Israel back to her first love and one day reign over them with true justice. Now we're going to take a look at Mishnahs 10 through 15. These particular Mishnayot are a common rabbinic enumeration of various types of character traits found within all humans. They are similar in style to Yeshua's parable of the sower. These teachings are the quintessential representation of the teachings of Pirkei Avot and are simply too good to pass up. Let's review these and briefly touch on their themes. Mishnah number 10. There are four types of character in human beings. One that says, mine is mine and yours is yours. This is a commonplace type. And some say this is a Sodom type of character. One that says, mine is yours and yours is mine, is an unlearned person. One that says, mine is yours and yours is yours, is a pious person. One that says, mine is mine and yours is mine, is a wicked person. To quickly summarize this teaching, the first type of person has the philosophy of, to each his own, or live and let live. You don't bother me, and I won't bother you. This teaching describes this type of person as average. However, there are some opinions that say this was the type of thinking of those in Sodom. Check out Ezekiel 16 for reference. The second type of person doesn't have a clue about ownership and possessions. This is a half-wit. The third type of person has the philosophy that he won't try and take any of your stuff, but if you need anything from him, consider it yours. This type of person, says the Mishnah, is a tzaddik, a righteous person. The final type of person has the philosophy of a thief. Don't touch my stuff, but if I see something that you have that I like, I'll help myself to it as well. This, says our Mishnah, is a wicked person. Yeshua doesn't have a parallel teaching of these four types of people. However, he does have something to say about generosity. Besides what we've already discussed about the eye being the lamp of the body in chapter 2, 
He said, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is Matthew 5.42. In other words, he taught his disciples to live with the attitude of what's mine is yours and what's yours is yours. Mishnah number 11. There are four types of temperaments, easy to become angry and easy to be appeased. His gain disappears in his loss. Hard to become angry and hard to appease. His loss disappears in his gain. Hard to become angry and easy to be appeased, a pious person. Easy to become angry and hard to be appeased, a wicked person. No one likes being around an angry person, especially the type that is listed here as a wicked person, one who is easily angered and then difficult to appease. There's nothing worse than to be on the receiving end of someone's fury, especially a spouse or other family member. Yeshua warns against the dangers of anger. In Matthew 5 we read, You have heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Matthew 5:21. Just a few chapters later, he said, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Matthew 12, 35-37. The Apostle Paul was adamant about the destructive power of anger as well. Just before listing the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, he lists what he calls the work of the flesh, things that he says disqualify one from entering into the kingdom. In this list, we find enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. This is Galatians 5.20. We may not be able to control our emotional response to a situation, but we should all be in control of how we respond to others and never lash out in anger. But like many other things in life, this is easier said than done. It's easy to allow our tongue to spray its poisonous venom all over the ones we love in the heat of the moment. May heaven help us all to control our tongue and use it to speak love and not hate blessings and not curses, life and not death. Mishnah number 12. There are four types of disciples, quick to comprehend and quick to forget. His gain disappears in his loss, slow to comprehend and slow to forget. His loss disappears in his gain, quick to comprehend and slow to forget. He is a wise man, slow to comprehend and quick to forget. This is an evil portion. Every teacher wishes their students to be able to quickly understand and then retain their lessons, to be the one who is quick to comprehend and slow to forget. Unfortunately, not everyone has this natural ability. However, we can all do our best to comprehend what we have learned and review our lesson so that we can hold on to it as long as possible. After all, we can't apply what we have forgotten. May we all be the best students of our Master that we can be, memorizing His teachings and applying them in every possible situation. Mishnah 14. There are four types among those who frequent the Beit Midrash, the house of study. He who attends but does not practice, he receives a reward for attendance. He who practices but does not attend, 
he receives a reward for practice. He who attends and practices, he is a pious man. He who neither attends nor practices, he is a wicked man. Again, we find four types of students represented in this Mishnah. Each type is viewed in light of their attendance at the house of study and whether or not they follow the Torah's instructions. One who studies but does not practice, the one who practices but does not study, the one who both studies and practices, and the one who neither studies nor practices. The first type is like the Pharisees whom Yeshua chastised. They had Torah knowledge and understanding, but they did not bear any fruit from their learning. In Romans 2, Paul says, For it is not the hearers of the Torah who are righteous before God, but the doers of the Torah who will be justified. This is Romans 2.13. Knowing Torah isn't enough. It is only when we put it into practice that we reap any benefit. Proverbs speaks of this hypocritical person when it says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. This is Proverbs 26, 12. May our eyes be open to see our blind spots so that we could repent from thinking we are exempt from our obligations to live according to our Heavenly Father's instructions. The second type is someone who bears the fruit of righteousness by their deeds, but is not necessarily learned in the Torah. Paul refers to this type of person in Romans 2 as well, saying, For when Gentiles do not have the Torah, by nature do what the Torah requires. They are a Torah to themselves, even though they do not have the Torah. They show that the work of the Torah is written on their hearts. This is Romans 2, 14 and 15. The third type of person not only studies Torah, but puts it into practice. Of him, Yeshua says, wisdom is justified by her deeds, Matthew eleven nineteen. This is the goal for all of Yeshua's disciples. Last, we have the person who has neither Torah learning or acts of righteousness. He, our Mishnah says, is wicked. God forbid that disciples of Yeshua should slip into this state. Mission number 15. There are four types among those who sit before the sages. A sponge, a funnel, a strainer, and a sieve. A sponge which soaks up everything. A funnel which takes in at one end and lets out at the other. In other words, he loses the information as quickly as he learns it. A strainer which lets out the wine and retains the lees. In other words, he lets the important information slip from his mind while clinging to the trivial matters he has learned. A sieve, which lets out the coarse meal and retains the choice flour. In our modern vernacular, we would say something like, he swallows the meat and spits out the bones. In each of the last few Mishnahs, we have four different types of people described. They range from types of temperaments to types of students. In each of these, there is one specific type presented as the model the teacher desires for his students to adopt. In Matthew 13, Yeshua presents his own list of four types of people. He said, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. 
He who has ears, let him hear. This is Matthew 13, 3 through 9. Many call this parable the parable of the sower. But as Dr. Brad Young has pointed out, the parable is really more about the different types of soil than the sower. And even though Yeshua calls it the parable of the sower himself, it could just as easily be called the parable of the soils. In this parable, Yeshua says there are four types of people represented by four types of soils. Each type of person responds to the good news of the kingdom in a different way. The first type of person, represented by the soil along the path, cannot comprehend what this good news is or why it is so good. He therefore immediately dismisses the message. The second type of person, represented by the rocky soil, excitingly receives the good news, but because they aren't grounded in the word, they quickly fall away when the slightest difficulties or persecution comes along. The third type of person, represented by the soil among thorns, is the one who receives the good news with sincerity, but the struggles of life or the pursuit of worldly wealth becomes more important than living a kingdom-focused life. The last type of person, represented by the fertile soil, not only receives the good news, but bears the fruit of repentance and works towards the realization of the kingdom despite the struggles of his life, therefore producing a rich harvest. What is this harvest? Is it souls? Most likely it's the fruit of his actions, deeds of righteousness, because this is what distinguishes him from the other three types of soils. What about reaching others? When we are producing good fruit, it opens opportunities for us to share our faith, a genuine faith that others can't help but be attracted to. Bearing fruit free from spoilage allows us to bring others under our wing as disciples to be taught the way of the kingdom. Mishnah 17. Every dispute that is for the sake of heaven will in the end endure, but one that is not for the sake of heaven will not endure. Which is the controversy that is for the sake of heaven? Such was the controversy of Hillel and Shammai. And which is the controversy that is not for the sake of heaven? Such was the controversy of Korah and all his congregation. This is what we discussed in Mishnah number 16 of chapter 4. In Matthew 22, Yeshua is questioned by the Sadducees, but refuses to play their game because their question was not for the sake of heaven. It was merely to poke fun at the Pharisaic hope of the resurrection that Yeshua affirmed. We need to learn how to avoid disputes that are not for the sake of heaven and not be sucked into fruitless arguments. The last Mishnah we will discuss in chapter 5 is Mishnah 26. In this Mishnah, we have the teaching from two individuals with unique names, Ben Bagbag and Ben Hehe. Mishnah 26. Ben Bagbag used to say of the Torah, turn it and turn it again for everything is in it. Pour over it and wax gray and old over it. Stir not from it for you can have no better rule than it. Ben Hehe used to say, according to the effort is the reward. You can't get much better than that. As Psalm 119.18 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your Torah. The scriptures are filled with life if we would but soak it in and then live it out. We can never get enough of the word in us, especially if we're living it out and pouring it into others. And as Ben Hehe says, according to the effort is the reward. Whatever we put into it is what we will get out of it. 
Well, this wraps up our sixth session in Perkei Avot in the teachings of Yeshua. May Hashem open our eyes to the depths of His Torah and plant the words of life from our Master Yeshua deep in our hearts. We'll see you soon in our final lesson of this series. Blessings.